Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, I am pleased to welcome back John Pitney, who is a gold looper that most of our regular listeners are very familiar with at this point, because John has been a frequent guest, and he has provided a series of checklists that are found on the members area of the AGLCA website. Um, So he is back to go through another one of those checklists, and today we'll be talking about running inlets. So that's going to be great information for those of you heading up the East Coast, since there are a lot of inlets you'll be crossing. Before we jump into today's topic, though, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors. They support AGLCA and loopers at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage loopers and all of our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. John Pitney, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity to do this. Yeah, and we appreciate you providing these checklists and, and doing these podcasts so that we can get more information out to people. Um, for those of you listening, if you are an AGLCA member, go to the greatloop.org website and log in as a member. When you go to the documents area, you'll see a folder for checklists and procedures, and that's where you will find all of uh, the things that John has provided. They are in a Word document format, and that is by design because all of these are what John would do on his boat. So for the most part, they do need to be altered for your own boat, and he's provided them in a very easy-to-use format so that you can go ahead and do that. But, John, today's is a little bit different. As you and I were kind of discussing before we got started, most of your checklists are helpful in handling emergency situations. Today, though, we're we're talking about something that all loopers will have to deal with just in the normal course of doing the loop, and that is running inlets. So as we get started, you started the checklist with definitions, which is great because we can all kind of get on the same page with the terms we'll be using. So I think that's a great place to start the podcast, too. If you would walk us through some of the definitions of the things that you're going to be talking about today, that would be great. Absolutely. Uh, We'll start there. When I started looking into this, I I guess I I knew that we were going to have to be going and transiting some inlets around the Great Loop uh, uh, Circle, and certainly uh, we ended up doing that. We went to the Bahamas and came back uh, to the Fort Pierce, through the Fort Pierce Inlet, and that proved to be a kind of an exciting ride. So (laughs) uh, (laughs) I had put together through the years, it gathered a lot of information about uh, various topics that I wanted to know more about, and running inlets was one of them, so I decided just to kind of gather all that information into one or two pages of, them, of uh, in a checklist format that would make it a lot easier to review and uh, not, not require me to, you know, have a lot of open websites or books or whatever, articles out of magazines. <laughs> in order to get the information I was looking for. So that's kind of uh, where I started out with this list. And in that same vein, when I started researching it, I learned that uh, a lot of terms that one needed to understand before you really got into this, and uh, some of them are on the, the very first part of the checklist, 
Let's go through them. Ebb tide, certainly everybody knows or should know that that's a tide that's flowing out of an inlet. Uh, a flood tide is a tide that's flowing into an inlet. It's pretty simple. And then slack water is the time between the ebb and the flood tides when the current is relatively low. So when you change over from water coming in to water going out, you should have a period of slack tide where the, the current is fairly low and it's a good time to travel that particular location. There's several different types of tides. There's a diurnal tide, which is a daily tide, and uh, typically the Gulf Coast the west coast of Florida have diurnal tides. Uh, you have one high and one low tide a day. But on the east coast of the United States, you have what's called a semi-diurnal tide, where you have two high and two low tides per day. You have two complete tide cycles. And uh, this is helpful in a way in that uh, you have more black times, you have uh, four times every day where you have slack water. So if you're looking to travel during those periods, you have more, more options. Also, you have more periods of high tide. So if you're looking to travel there, uh, you have more options. I think we adopted the, the uh, uh, rule, I guess, that uh, when we were traveling the East Coast, particularly in the Georgia, South Carolina areas where the intercoastal is fairly shallow, um, we traveled with the two hours and the three hours before and the three hours after a high tide. That was our window of opportunity since we drew almost five feet of draft. And uh, that served us well, and so we got to learn uh, how to use the tide tables uh, to our advantage to, to make those, uh, uh, those trips. There's also something called high slack water. High slack water is the black time that occurs when the tide is changing from flood to ebb and the water level is relatively high. Uh, this occurs at the end of a flood tide. Then there's a low slack water, just the opposite, the slack water that occurs when the tide is changing from ebb to flood and the water level is relatively low. This occurs at the end of an ebb time. And of course, you always hear people talking about uh, bars or inlet bars, and they're not talking about your local uh, uh, margarita bar. They're talking about <laughs> dangerous sandbars at the mouth of inlets and bays. Um, perhaps you don't hear that term as often on the East Coast as you do on the West Coast, but uh, that's what it means. So those are the definitions that uh, I started out with and, and were helpful in understanding this whole process. And that's a great um, refresher for some, but you know, possibly for some of our listeners who are early in their planning process, Maybe the first time that they've heard some of those, we have so many lake boaters, and one of the things I always hear concerns about when I'm out there talking about the Great Loop are the tides for people who have never had to deal with that before. So that's a great information just right there with the definitions alone. Um, but let's kind of walk into some of the considerations for running inlets and timing the tides, and that's going to be more helpful information for people who are not familiar with tides, but also for people who have not run a lot of inlets with them. So let's, let's talk about timing the tides. Okay, absolutely. If you have uh, 
some planning time, and you should always make time to do some planning uh, on your trips. Um, these are some considerations you might want to go into if uh, going in or come or coming back to, into an inlet is on your particular schedule. Um, ebb tides plus an outgoing river current tend to create very strong current outflows and larger, deeper, and closer together waves. So one thing to kind of watch out for are ebb tides plus an outgoing river current. Uh, ebb tides in general are probably not the best choice for trying to come into an inlet. Uh, typically you do have uh, more issues when you, you come in with an ebb tide coming against you. Um, also understand that if you have an ebb tide with an outgoing river current and you have large waves produced by that combination, uh, this condition can subside uh, very dramatically when the tide turns. So once again, it's a good idea to know when your tides are and whether they're ebb tides or flood tides and when the slack water turns on. An ebb tide with strong onshore winds can also create a bad condition. The winds tend to blow against the outflowing water and create a lot larger waves and unpredictability in, in that particular waterway. Um, be aware that offshore storms, even though you may not actually see them, uh, might create uh, large waves and inlets. Uh, they might be totally gone in terms of conditions out in the open water, but still uh, going to be causing problems in an inlet. Make sure that you check the tide tables, both electronic and paper if you have them, to select the right time to cross your, the uh, particular inlet you're looking at. Most chart plotters should have uh, electronic timetables built into them, and it behooves us to understand how to work those and get the information out of them. Uh, each manufacturer has their own proprietary way of doing that, but uh, really, really pays dividends to get out the book and understand exactly how to, to work those start plotters. You can also find title information, uh, certainly on apps. There's a bunch of different apps available if you just Google Tide apps. <laughs> uh, there's also ones uh, <clears throat> websites that um, are very helpful too that I found to be particularly helpful. One was called usharbors.com. It's usharbors, H-A-R-B-O-R-S.com. It has title information uh, that you can choose on a map. Once you choose a location, it'll come up with uh, tide information in a table format. Very easy to read, uh, very handy to, to bookmark that page. Of course, uh, NOAA also has tide prediction tables available online. <clears throat> and the one that uh, seems to be the most used is tidesandcurrents.noaa.gov. That's tides and currents all together, NOAA, N O A A.gov. And um, both those uh, websites are very useful if you have. You're sitting in a marina the day before you're going to be mining an inlet, uh, probably a good uh, idea to check those out. <clears throat> you also be aware that the tide tables 
uh, give information about tides at a particular tidal station. And that tidal station may be miles away from where you actually are or plan to transit. So you have to be aware of that and understand uh, the distance and how that translates into time for your various uh, high or low tides or slack water. So you have to uh, uh, make a determination as to whether that's going to affect you. Also, are the tide tables adjusted for daylight savings time? Sometimes this can be an issue if you're looking at uh, something on paper and you have to make sure that uh, they are um, the same time standard that you're using. In general, we've talked about <clears throat> trying not to cross during ebb tides if possible. Um, and also not crossing, and this is just common sense, do not cross uh, an unfamiliar inlet uh, during nighttime or fog or low visibility. It just does not make sense to do that. Uh, also be aware of your cruise capabilities. Um, have you been transiting a long time on open water and everybody's tired? Uh, what are their capabilities in terms of um, uh, you know, helping to pilot the boat. Uh, you have to know what your crew's capabilities are and their conditions. And also be patient. Uh, don't feel like you have to come right in once you reach that inlet buoy. Uh, if the, the conditions are not absolutely perfect, uh, but they will be in two or three hours, just wait. Uh, good time to uh, get some other things done, maybe he's just sitting out and waiting for the, the conditions to improve. <clears throat> so those are all great pieces of advice, John, on the things to try to avoid when you're timing the tides. So let's shift now, if we can, to the best times or the best conditions um, to actually run the inlet. Right. Well, the safest time to run inlets is during the period of slack water between ebb and flood tides. Uh, if you have a diurnal or daily tide, there's two chances to cross the semi-diurnal tide. Like on the East Coast, there's four chances to cross each day. So be aware of what kind of tides you have. Um, if you're looking at semi-diurnal tides, we have four each day. Try to choose the tide with the least difference between high and low tides. <clears throat> the greater that difference is, the more uh, current and more activity you will have in the inlet. So look for the differences that are low between the high and low tides. Um, compare the tidal variations on the day you plan to cross. Your typical tidal variations <clears throat> are we looking at a Particularly, particularly um, full moon effect where your tides are going to be a lot, lot bigger than they might normally. Uh, that's kind of information you need to know. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, generally, the more variation in the tidal uh, change, the more likelihood you will have rough conditions. There are two times that you could choose to transit. One would be in low slack water, and the advantage of that would be that it works best for longer bars, uh, for longer inlets, uh, greater distances. 
It also, uh, entering from the ocean side gives you more time to cross, more push on the flood. So transiting in low slack water has its advantages. Another advantage, of course, is rising tide may help free the boat if you run aground. So if uh, that's not an outcome you want, but if you do run aground and you're coming in on a rising tide, the chances, the chances are that you might be able to get free just by waiting for the tide to rise. Transiting in high slack water has one basic advantage. The water on the bar is the deepest at the end of the high tide. So if you're looking at running an inlet where you have some pretty shallow spots, you might want to consider transiting in high slack water, particularly if you're, the draft on your boat uh, is fairly deep and you're concerned about running aground. Uh, the deeper water means uh, a wider, safer channel, and it can reduce the size and the steepness of the waves as well. Current should be minimal in that type of a channel. So there are two possibilities, crossing a low slack water and transiting in high slack water. Each of them has their advantages, but you have to kind of look at, at uh, those advantages with re in relationship to your own boat to see which one you would choose. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you also, John, recommend uh, checking the bar conditions. So walk us through that recommendation. Right. There's a lot of information that you can gather uh, before you actually start uh, the transit. Uh, has there been a lot of rain recently on the land side? Uh, runoff from floods, rain or snow melt can cause more severe conditions than simply the, uh, the river or estuary that uh, is forming the inlet. So be aware of that. Be aware of what kind of uh, weather has happened recently in that particular area. Uh, deep, narrow inlets are more likely to have a fast and strong current, so be aware of that. Uh, check the sea state uh, outside of the inlet. Large swells or wind waves uh, equal more severe conditions. So it's pretty common sense, but uh, have to make sure you, you're, you're aware of these factors. Um, you can also listen to local NOAA weather forecasts for inlet conditions like the time of max ebb current, uh, which is a good time to avoid, by the way. And uh, there are several websites that can help you do that, www.nwsnationalweatherservice.noaa.gov forward slash nwr uh, forward slash coverage forward slash station listing.html. That's quite a long uh, website, but the, the same it information. Is, but it is listed in the, um, it's listed in the procedure itself, so people can get it from there yeah. um, if they weren't able to get it as you were explaining it. Yeah, it's, it's all listed there. Also check the local notice to mariners for the last 30 days and the East Coast alerts. There's a way you can sign up for the East Coast alerts to get them via email if you go to BoatUS.com, and that um, exact website is also listed uh, on the printed sheet. <clears throat> Examine your charts. Look for shallow spots uh, surrounded by deeper water. Uh, these are good places for big breakers to exist, so uh, stay clear of those. You can call the Coast Guard on VHF Channel 16 and re request a report of bar conditions. 
And sometimes fishermen broadcast uh, the inlet conditions on their fishing, I call it the fishing chit-chat channel, which is channel 68. Uh, check with CETO, Towboat US, or other tugboat operators. Uh, they all would be happy to share information with you if uh, you ask them nicely and if they have actually used that inlet uh, recently, they could be happy to give you some information. Check the Coastal Pilot and the U.S. Coast Guard District websites for existence of bar warning lights. Uh, there might have some uh, lights out there that will tell you if the conditions are not good to, to transit that particular inlet. Uh, also, call for local knowledge about the inlet and bar conditions. Uh, talk about Google, U.S., Dockmasters, commercial colors, any of those folks. Um, observe entrances or bars uh, for a while before making the crossing. Uh, you can learn a lot just by sitting off the inlet buoy and watching to see what kind of breakers there are, uh, whether there's a... Uh, <clears throat> you know, they have uh, low intervals between the peaks. And you can also see the breakers on a radar often if they're big enough. They look kind of like uh, small seagull symbols moving towards the beach. So if you see that on radar, that's probably a good warning sign. If you're unsure of current conditions or your skill skills necessary to get over them, uh, you might consider hiring a local captain and having him come out to help you cross. Uh, notice the wave pattern through the inlet. You have large waves followed by a series of small waves. That's typically what you, you find in the inlet as a large one comes in, and, and then you have a series of smaller ones, and then another large one. Uh, in our, our uh, personal experience, the Fort Pierce Florida Inlet was uh, quite an adventure. We came back from the uh, Bahamas at Fort Pierce, and not only was there, were the conditions not <laughs> perfect, but uh, that particular day there were a whole lot of other boaters out, and mostly small boats, and they all seemed to like to be in that inlet. So <laughs> when you're coming in and uh, you've got uh, fairly good-sized waves, on your stern, pushing you in, and uh, uh, you're trying to avoid these folks if you, if you get kind of hairy. So uh, these are all things that uh, might cause some issues. And I've, I've seen that number of different inlets where it tends to be a popular fishing spot, so you have to be very aware of local traffic. Right. So we'll take a break. Oh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. So I just said those are some of the things, you, some of the sources you might use to uh, check on the bar conditions before you try the transit. Okay, great information. Um, we're going to take a short break to play a message from our sponsors. We'll come back and talk a little bit more about um, the where and how to cross. Back in a moment. Did you know that every mile of the Great Loop is covered by Skipper Bob Guides? Its mile-by-mile -mile format is a great planning tool and essential at the helm. On the most popular routes and side trips, Skipper Bob covers preparation, navigation, bridges and locks, and the best places to visit. Skipper Bob guides are updated each year, and its website keeps you current with navigation alerts and cruising news. To check it out, go to skipperbob.net. Skipper Bob is a proud Admiral Sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio talking with John Pitney about crossing inlets today. Um, John, 
let's pick up. Um, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but I do want to cover the rest of the material if we can. So let's talk about uh, the bullet points you share under where to cross. Right. Um, certainly the best place to start if you're coming into an inlet is at the sea buoy, and those are prominently marked on your charts. Um, it is possible perhaps to get into the channel inside the sea buoy, but only do that if you have great uh, local personal knowledge of that particular inlet. It's unwise to cross uh, an unmaintained or unmarked bars without expert local knowledge. So try to, to stay with the ones that get uh, quite a bit of use. Um, also keep a very alert watch. Stay clear of large commercial vessels if you're going into Charleston or Savannah, some of those larger ports. Uh, that could be an issue, so make sure that uh, you know those guys are coming in. If you have AIS, you'll be able to see them uh, pretty clearly. Hail them on channel 13 and make sure everybody's in agreement as to what's going to happen uh, you know, if you're in kind of the same area of water at the same time. So next, so okay. we're talking about preparing to cross. Yes. Um, certainly all hands uh, should be in life jackets, inflate the vests with the mouth tubes if possible. Uh, stow your gear just like you are for heavy weather. Uh, if you're expecting lots of turbulence, you might consider changing your fuel filters just before entering because the uh, Heavy motion of the boat will stir up your fuel, and if you have any uh, contamination in there, it might get uh, pulled up into the filter and clog, and then cause one or both of your engines to cut out at a very inopportune time. So that might be something to consider. Uh, also, uh, consider sending out a security on channel 13 and 16 if you're having to cross in reduced visibility so other boats know of your presence. Uh, watch for dredges. Uh, inlets are constantly being dredged, so there's likely to be a dredge somewhere in the in the vicinity if it's an inlet that uh, fills up quite often with sand. Uh, they will display two green lights or two diamond shapes in a vertical line to indicate the side that is safe to pass. So make sure you're aware of that. And floating pipes are usually marked by orange and yellow lights. So uh, be sure to watch for that. Prepare an anchor for immediate deployment uh, by remote control if necessary, in case you get into a problem where you have to stop, just you, you lose propulsion or whatever, you might want to deploy your anchor to keep you from moving towards uh, shore. Be prepared to stay outside the inlet for a tide cycle or cycles, uh, if that would help. Uh, Get experience in handling your boat in large following or head-on seas before you enter the inlet. You should have some experience with that. <clears throat> when entering the inlet, adjust the speed to stay on back of a breaking wave if you have the, that severe of an entry. Uh, don't try to go over the top of the wave. Just try to stay on the back of the wave and ride it in. Uh, if you must turn around after you're inlet, inlet, in an inlet, uh, start the turn when the largest wave of the series has passed, and uh, you can turn during the time of the smaller waves and then get back uh, 
to facing out of the inlet uh, before the next wave hits. You don't want to be broadside when the big waves uh, might hit the boat. And this is certainly under <clears throat> under very severe conditions, which I wouldn't recommend you come in anyway. But if you have no choice, uh, these are things to watch out for. In the final analysis, when in doubt, stay out. So if you have any uh, concerns about the conditions or your crew or your, your vessel, might want to just stay out for a while until conditions improve and then uh, come on in and uh, tie up and not have any problems. Right. John, those are great points. We appreciate you sharing them with us today, and especially kind of that wrap-up point is when in doubt, stay out is always um, very helpful. Any other final thoughts before we wrap up for today? Um, not really, other than, uh, you know, it's certainly possible to do the great loop without going out too many inlets. Uh, I think about four is all you'd have to do, including the New Jersey run uh, if you're not going to make the New Jersey intercoastal. <clears throat> but uh, don't let uh, going in and out of inlets stop you from enjoying your cruise. Uh, most of the time, if you're waiting for good weather, say like to cross over to the Bahamas, uh, you're going to have good inlet conditions as well. So just uh, take these uh, few points and, and use them where you can. Uh, to help you cross under good conditions, and everything will be fine. Thank you, John. appreciate you sharing that information and for joining us once again. We'd love to have you back again soon. Great. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you, Kim. Thanks. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Yeah. <laughs>